Please be opening in your Bibles tonight, if you would, to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. It is an absolute, undeniable, inarguable fact that baptism is an essential prerequisite, an absolutely essential prerequisite in order to be saved and go to heaven. And the reason baptism is an absolutely essential requirement in order to go to heaven is because forgiveness of sins is an absolutely essential requirement in order to go to heaven. And biblical baptism is where one receives the forgiveness of their sins. Now, we all know that. Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. And certainly, no Christ-honoring, truth-accepting, and word-abiding New Testament Christian and faithful member of the Lord's Church would ever deny that. The baptism is absolutely essential because forgiveness is essential and forgiveness comes at baptism. Mark 16, 16, Acts 22, 16, and 1 Peter 3, 21. We know these verses by heart. We understand them. Any New Testament Christian will defend that truth to the death because that is what the Word of God says. It's what the Word of God teaches, the Word of God in which they have placed their trust. However, However, just as essential and vital and absolutely required as God's forgiveness of our sins in order to go to heaven is our subsequent forgiveness of others' sins in order for us to go to heaven. Just as required, just as essential as it is that we have our sins forgiven, it is just as essential and required that we forgive others if we would go to heaven. Our forgiveness of other people's sins is every bit as vital to our own salvation as God's forgiveness of our sins is to begin with. God could not have stated this any plainer or any simpler than he did in places like James 5 and verse 9, which says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Don't grumble against each other, lest you be condemned. And he made it very clear in this passage I have asked you to turn to here in Matthew 6, as we'll get to momentarily. Brother Alan Webster has a tract. There's a couple of copies of it out here, and I have one at the house I can bring back if we run out of these two, but he has a tract that's in our tract rack out here, tract rack out here, I can say that, and it is entitled, Forgiven to Forgive. This is part of what he writes. We must be forgivers to please God. Since God commanded us to forgive others, Mark 11, 25 and 6, Ephesians 4, 32, and Colossians 3, 13. When one refuses to forgive, he disobeys God and stands to be rejected. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. He continues, forgiveness is not optional. 
One might as well disregard the Lord's Supper, refuse baptism, or be unfaithful to one's spouse. It is a life and death matter, Revelation 22, 14 and John 14, 15. A little later on in that tract, it's set out here probably, I don't know how long it's been out here, but for a while I would guess. He goes on to say a little later on, since all need forgiveness, all must forgive. A hand closed so as not to give forgiveness is also closed so as not to receive forgiveness. Brother Alan Webster. Brother Webster therein is just reiterating the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 that we talked about this morning. You'll remember we were talking this morning about prayer and what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And, and right in the middle of that, in verse 12 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, and forgive us our debtors, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, the same, in the same fashion. And as we mentioned this morning, it's immediately after the close of that prayer that he goes on to make it incredibly clear why that is so important. Look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Could God have made that any clearer? Could he put it in any simpler terms? As intelligent as he is, as wise as he is, he came right down to our level and said, here it is. It's this simple. And this is not the only place in scripture where we see the essential importance of this message revealed. We see glimpses of it as early on as Leviticus 19, if you'll turn back there. This is all through the Bible. Leviticus chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. We see a glimmer of this there. He says, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And of course we see in there reflections of what Jesus would teach later about the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And I know this next text is a somewhat long reading. I know it's a very familiar reading. But I'm going to ask you to turn there with me because, you know, even our young people at a very young age can probably quote Acts 238 because we focus on it so much. And it's that vital. It should be well known, okay? But again, as important as Acts 2 and verse 38 is to our initial salvation, this next text is to our eternal, let me, to our eternal salvation. It's a text that we need to know on forgiveness as much as we know Acts 2.38. And it's in Matthew chapter 18. Please turn there. Even if you know this one pretty much by heart, follow along. It's just that important. Matthew chapter 18. I'm not going into a long drawn out explanation of the monies and all of that. We know the, the story, the account well, but we need to reread it. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Please follow along in your own Bible. 
Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive? Uh, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, Jesus goes on to teach. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Which obviously, that wasn't going to make up all of that he owed. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went through him into prison till he should pay the debt. Again, obviously the man couldn't pay the debt if he's in prison. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And again, this was an, irre an irrepayable debt. You know the story well. Man's forgiven a lot. He goes out and he has a man that owes him a little, doesn't forgive him that debt. He doesn't pass on that forgiveness. So his master takes him back and he said, you're wicked because you wouldn't do for another what I had done for you on so much a larger set of terms. And Jesus finishes the story with this. And I, and I want you to really look at the wording of verse 35. So my heavenly father also will. There's no question about it. God, uh, God will. Jesus said he will. Do to you if each. This is a personal thing. We need to take this personally. Doug Dingley needs to take this personally. Everybody needs to take this personally. This is a personal text. Each of you. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart. It's got to come from the heart. Does not forgive his brother. His trespasses. Now, we've probably heard that, if you've been in the church for a number of years or decades, you've probably heard this taught over and over again. And in turn, we probably all understand and agree without any question that we understand we need to, do, we need to forgive in order to be forgiven. We get that. But forgiving to be forgiven is not where the Bible stops on this. It's not where the Bible stops. It's not where it draws the line. Not only must we forgive, but we must forgive as God has forgiven us. That takes it to a whole other world, out of this world, otherworldly level. Listen, we can say we love somebody, but when the Bible says love as Christ loved us, doesn't that take it to a whole different level? And that puts it right through the stratosphere. Same thing here. We are not only to forgive, but we are to forgive as God forgave us. The essentiality of this is seen in Ephesians 4, if you want to turn there. Please do turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. I've got it typed up, but you can go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, 
Verses 30 through 32, the Apostle Paul writes this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, notice, all, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, all of it, all of it's got to go. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as, as is one of the, the, the biggest little words in the Bible, just as God in Christ forgave you. This is, this is so critical for all of us. This is so important. Listen, question. When God forgave you, when you come up, as Riley did Wednesday night, out of the waters of Christian baptism, when you came up out of those waters, had God forgiven you? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. God had forgiven you. Listen, when God forgave you, did he continue to remain bitter, angry, wrathful, and speak evil of you? Of course not. Prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Oh, bring the best robe and, and let's kill the fattened calf and, and, and let's have this, this celebration for this son of mine was dead and he's come back. Romans 5, 1 through 11, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No, no, when God forgave us, he did not remain bitter, he did not remain angry, he did not remain wrathful, he did not speak evil of us. And so the question then is, if I say, I'll use me, if I say that I have forgiven a brother or sister, but I continue to harbor bitterness or anger or resentment or speak evil of them. Have I really forgiven that brother or sister as God forgave me? Have I? Another verse that goes with this, Colossians chapter 3, 12 and 13, if you want to turn there again. I've got it tight, but please turn there. Again, as. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as, there's that word again, Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And again, we see that it's not just forgiveness, it's forgiveness as we were forgiven. We see that it is not an option. It is a divine directive, so also you must do. See, there's a world of difference between doing something and doing something as God says it has to be done. There's a world of difference between what man might define as forgiving someone and what God defines as forgiving someone. When, when the Bible says we have to forgive as God in Christ forgave us, or as God forgave us. What that is talking about, we must forgive in the same manner, and to the same extent, and with the same result as that in which the Lord has forgiven us. So with the rest of tonight's lesson, I, I want to spend a little bit of time with maybe a little bit less familiar rubber meets the road type of, of application. What does it really mean? What does it really look like in, in real life, real time, real world experience? What does it look like in that application to truly forgive as God forgave us?
Well, number one, as we saw in that text I read from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, forgiveness truly sought after must be forgiveness fully given. That's lesson number one. Forgiveness fully sought after must be forgiveness fully given. God does not turn away the penitent sinner that comes to him. Is that right? God doesn't turn away people who truly humble themselves and come to him for forgiveness, does he? No, of course not. We can't afford to either. That's what it means to forgive as we have been forgiven. Secondly, from that same passage in Matthew chapter 18, we look at verse 35, which I spent a little bit of time on, and we see that such forgiveness must be real and sincere. It must come from the heart. He said, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, from his heart. What does it mean from his heart? It means it can't just be a, a lip service thing. It can't just be a, a surface thing. Psalm 55 and verse 21. What about, and again, I'll use me. What about if I say, I'm the, I'll forgive, but... I forgive, but then have I truly forgiven as? For example, if I say, well, you know what? I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Then have I truly forgiven as God has forgiven me? Turn to me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31, there's a prophecy here of the coming kingdom, of the, the new covenant, as it were. And in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Watch this line. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. We see this passage quoted twice in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 12, and in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 18, God says, when I forgive, I'll forget. God who knows everything says, when I forgive, I'll forget. Now, I understand that in some cases, as human beings, it may be impossible to forget. It, it, it may, to literally forget. But it certainly is possible as a human to overlook to the point that whatever that sin was, it has no further impact on the relationship. Maybe can't literally, absolutely, totally forget. But as a human, it is possible to overlook it to the point it has no further impact on the relationship. I believe very strongly that that's exactly what King Solomon was saying in Proverbs 10 and verse 12 
in 17.2 when he wrote, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. The Apostle Peter alluded to the same thing about this, this covering when he said, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins in 1 Peter 4.8. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs. All of those, all of those have to do with the fact that even though wrong may have been committed, it's going to be covered and it's going to have no impact on the relationship. Now, the Apostle Paul never forgot his own sins. Like, like David, we read this morning in Psalm 51, David said, my sin's always before me. My, my sin's all, I, I know what I am. The Apostle Paul would go back several times in his writings and talk about how he'd been a blasphemer and all this. Paul never forgot his own sins. It, it always, he knew they were covered, but it always drove him because he was so grateful they were covered. But here's the thing. Paul and others like him certainly chose to forget or overlook as best they possibly humanly could the sins of others who had sinned against them. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16, for example, Paul was willing to overlook the sins of others, to let them go. You know, there's a beautiful passage in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. And just listen, if you will, because I'm going to word it a little different. One of the reasons why the Lord is merciful and gracious, one of the reasons why the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in mercy, one of the reasons why the Lord will not always strive with us nor keep his anger forever, one of the reasons why the Lord will not deal with us according to our sins or punish us, according to our iniquities. One of the reasons the Lord has therefore, as far as the east is from the west, removed our transgressions from us is seen in that very text. It is because God knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Think about that. All of that quote came from Psalm 103, verses eight through 14. It says he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, all of those things, doesn't punish our sins, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed them because as it concludes, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I want you to think about dust. I want you to think about dust in a windowsill on a sunny day. I want you to think, no, no reflection on anybody or anything. Just think about this. Dust. Dust is frail. Dust is fragile. Dust is dirty. Dust is there one moment and gone the next. Dust is insignificant. God remembers that we are dust. And brethren, I believe that's something that we've got to remember about each other. We need to remember that as Christians, we're all just dust. If, if, if God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, doesn't keep his anger, doesn't deal with us according to our sins, has removed them as far as the east is from the west, because he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust, would it not help us to forgive if we thought that about everybody else? What that means is people are fragile. People are frail. 
None of us, none of us, none of us, none of us is perfect. None of us. None of us is perfect and therefore above the need to be forgiven by God. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? None of us is perfect and above the need to be forgiven by God, right? But you know what's inherent in that statement? That means that none of us is perfect and above the need to be given, forgiven by one another in the same way. That's what that means. Our elders are not perfect. Our deacons are not perfect. Our preachers are not perfect. Our Bible class teachers are not perfect. Our Bible class students are not perfect. No Christian parent is perfect. And no Christian child is perfect. We must always remember that not one single one of our brothers or sisters in Christ, no matter who they are, is or ever will be perfect as long as they live on this earth. Is that right? None of them. None of them. We are all, therefore, going to be in need of God's ongoing forgiveness as long as we're here and human. Is that right? As long as we're here and we're human, every one of us is going to need God's ongoing forgiveness. And in the same fashion, therefore, we are all therefore going to be in need of one another's ongoing forgiveness as long as we live here and are human as well. And I believe that's one of the reasons Jesus so emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount as we've already covered both this morning and tonight from Matthew chapter 6, why forgiveness is so important and why we must forgive in order to be forgiven. Moving on to one more example of this, I forgive, but. What happens if I say, and again, I'm going to pick on me. If I say, well, I'm going to forgive, but <laughs> I'm no longer going to fellowship with that guy. If I say that, have I truly forgiven as God forgave me? When God forgives, does God withhold fellowship from the person he's forgiven? Absolutely not. First John 1, please turn there. We alluded to this this morning. First John chapter 1. In First John chapter 1, I want you to notice that when God forgives, Fellowship is restored. Chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We understand this cleansing is an ongoing cleansing. If there's an ongoing cleansing, you know what that means? There's ongoing sin. We in our lives continue to sin. We don't want to. We, we, we strive to stay away from it, but we make mistakes. We're human. We mess up. We're dust. We, God knows that. And, and so as we look at, at this verse, we see that the blood of his son continues to cleanse us from our sins. If we say we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to 
continually is the tense of the verb here, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look what this text says, verses seven through nine. Sin is going to continue to some degree. If we confess those sins and we humble ourselves before God and we ask his forgiveness, do we get it? Yes. And in getting it, are we still in fellowship with God? Yes, when God forgives, fellowship is still there with us. Thank God for that. You see, in the biblical outline, from what I can see at least in scripture, when God forgives, he restores the relationship, the fellowship, back to its former state at the very least, if not even better, going forward into the future. If I say I forgive but, then have I truly forgiven as? Because if I say, when God says I forgive, and he forgets it, puts it behind him, relationship restored, which is what happened, Isaiah 59, one and two, our sins had come between us and God, and in Christ, he has restored the relationship, we're in fellowship with him. But if I, don't use that standard of forgiveness, then I come up with my own standard. I'll forgive but, instead of I forgive as. We need to never forget if that's the case, Luke 6, 37 and 8, wherein Jesus said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. For with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. That verse scares me. There's, there's verses in the Bible that scare me. One of them is Matthew 7, 21 through 23, scary verse. Verse says, this one scares me. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If my personal definition, I'll pick on me again, if my personal definition of forgiveness, by virtue of it being the one I use on others, does not include restoration of the fellowship and relationship, and that is the standard that I pass to God and tell him on judgment day that I want him to use on me. God, here's the forgiveness I want you to use on me. I want you to use the forgiveness, my definition of forgiveness, not yours, mine. Here's the one I've used on everybody else, so this is the one I want you to use on me. I want you to use my standard of forgiveness, which says, I'll forgive you, but I'm not gonna restore the relationship and I'm not gonna restore the fellowship. What kind of forgiveness is that? If God's forgiveness of me means that I can't have a relationship with God and I can't have fellowship with God, then what good is it? Didn't you get your relationship to God back when you were forgiven? Amen. I've got to use God's standard. There's a devotional book entitled Strength for the Journey by brothers Bill McFarland and David Deffenbaugh. Some of you may know that Deffenbaugh name. There's an article on page 279. This is a book that was written, or copywritten anyway, 2007, so it's like 14 years old. But on page 279 of Strength for the Journey, there's an article entitled Forgiveness. And as I read, it's, it's just a little short devotional thing. As I read it, I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about number one, number one, the qualities of God's forgiveness toward us, or toward you personally, towards us, and number two, those same qualities of forgiveness when it comes to our extension of them to others. Don't just think about the first one, think about the second one. Not just what God has done for us, what these qualities of forgiveness are that God has given us, but how these same qualities of forgiveness would be experienced as we forgive others because we are to forgive as God forgave us. Here's the article. 
Forgiveness is one of the rich spiritual blessings we enjoy in Christ. Amen? Ephesians 1 and verse 7. It is also one of the responsibilities we have toward one another because of Christ. Ephesians 4.32. We are fortunate that God has given us some pictures of what this means. Some of the most beautiful of these illustrations come from the prophet Isaiah. And he's going to give you four quick ones from the book of Isaiah. And I hadn't thought about most of these till I read that article. Number one. Not from Isaiah. Number one. Forgiveness allows one to be pure and clean. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Wrongs may have stood out like bright red blotches, but forgiveness cleanses. You ever had a really bad case of poison oak or poison ivy or something like that? A few years ago down at camp, Katie was chasing softballs and she went down into a ravine and she kind of ripped her leg open on a stick and stuff down there, didn't realize she'd been right in the middle of poison ivy and it not only got on her skin, it got in her blood and it was just, it was a mess. She was just red blotches, she was a mess, okay? And our sins are like scarlet like that. But the beautiful thing is, is that forgiveness cleanses, makes pure and whole again. Number two, he says, forgiveness puts sins out of the way. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Isaiah 38, verse 17, the latter part. Their comment, when sins are cast behind the back, they no longer affect the relationship. They are no longer an obstacle. Number three, forgiveness means that sins will not be held against us. Isaiah 43, 25. The Lord said, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Aren't you glad of that? I am so grateful. They say, notice that forgiveness is the blotting out of the wrong, and once it is forgiven, it is not brought up again. Finally, number four from Isaiah out of this little devotional book, forgiveness keeps sins out of sight. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Their comment, as the heat of the sun sweeps away the mist of the clouds, the grace of forgiveness sweeps away guilt. They conclude with this. In his book, As for Me and My House, Walter Wangerin Jr. says, Forgiveness is a holy complete, unqualified giving. Think about that. Forgiveness is a wholly complete, unqualified giving. It is what God gives us in the blood of Christ and it is the greatest gift we can give to each other. Boom. Think about that. Think about that. What is the greatest gift that you have in Christ? The forgiveness of your sins. Easy, right? What is therefore the greatest single gift that we can give to anybody else in Christ, that we can give to our brethren? What is the most incredible blessing, gift, the greatest gift we can give to each other? Forgiveness. You know why? Because we all need it. Because we all want it from God. 
One of the most obvious reasons why forgiveness is the greatest gift we can give to each other. I want to say that again. It's the greatest gift we can give to each other. There's no greater gift we can give to one another. Say, well, I can give somebody Jesus. Well, you give somebody Jesus, you give them forgiveness. That's what Jesus is all about. One of the most obvious reasons why it is such a great gift is because it is what we all need the most, both from God and one another. But there's another, and we don't discuss this one as much, there's, a, there's a, one more aspect here of, of forgiveness that we don't talk about a lot. So I'm going to talk about it. One of the least talked about and therefore least appreciated aspects of forgiveness of others as God forgave us. You know what it is? One of the least appreciated and least discussed blessings or forgiving one another as God forgave us is what it does to us when we give the gift. Not just receiving, but when we give the gift. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Acts 20, verse 35, yeah. What it does for the one doing the forgiving is amazing. It's empowering, it's beautiful. Let me go back to Brother Alan Webster's fabulous tract, Forgiven to Forgive. Let me read to you from that tract about the fact that forgiveness is an incredible thing for the person giving it, not just the person receiving it. This is what he says, forgiven to forgive. He says, resentment and vengeance are two ingredients for a miserable life. A happy person is a giver, a forgiver, and a thanksgiver. The Bible teaches that we are forgiven to forgive. If we hold grudges or harbor bitterness, hatred, and mistrust in our hearts, we will be miserable. That makes sense? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, if I just, I'm full of all of this stuff in my heart, then I'm going to be miserable. It's that simple. He says, forgiveness brings joy, Psalm 32 in verse 1, but it must be full forgiveness. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said, forgive and forget. When you bury a mad dog, don't leave his tail above the ground. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so you keep pulling him up again. Just think about that. And he's got some, I love the way Alan Webster writes. Again. Charles Spurgeon brought it up, forgive and forget, when you bury a mad dog, don't leave his tail above the ground. When we sweep the floor, we don't leave dirt behind the door, unless we're men and are what, never mind, okay? When we forgive, we bury the hatchet, handle and all. Someone said, quote, a grudge is one thing that does not get better when nursed, unquote. To gain peace of mind for ourselves, we must avoid keeping a filing system to remember offenses. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Hebrews 8, 2, and 10, 17. Then he tells this story, Brother Webster. The Civil War left a tragic aftermath of bitterness, hatred, and resentment in America. The wounds inflicted were deep, and painful. The guns fell silent, but the anger continued. Many were unwilling to forget what had been done. One who refused bitterness 
was General Robert E. Lee. Though Lee had headed the Confederate armies through most of the Civil War, he urged reconciliation between North and South. And I want to stop right there for just a minute. If you've never gone on Wikipedia, you've never gone on Google and researched, I hadn't to this point till I read this, and I thought, really? I mean, he was, you know, he was a general and, 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 and still fighting for this cause, and like he was trying to, yes, go online, just, just Google, Wikipedia, whatever, Robert E. Lee, and look at what the man did, especially after the war. He was always trying to reconcile, and just, just such an incredible peacemaker. Anyway, moving forward with the article, while he was visiting in Richmond, Virginia, a lady took Lee to her backyard and showed him the mangled stump of a once beautiful tree. She explained bitterly how Union troops had destroyed her property. Expecting sympathy, she waited for Lee's response. Finally, he spoke, quote, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it." Unquote. How many of us have something we need to cut down and forget? Brother Webster continues near the conclusion of that tract with these two paragraphs. He says, Thackeray and Dickens, you remember the name Charles Dickens, right? Thackeray and Dickens, two English literary giants became rivals. After years of hatred, they met accidentally in London. They coldly faced each other, then turned to leave. On impulse, Thackeray turned back and seized Dickens' hand. Dickens was touched by the gesture, and they left smiling with the old jealousy ended. Just a few days after that incident, Thackeray died. Little did Dickens know that the next time he saw Thackeray, it would be in a casket. A writer later recalling the incident asked, is it not always well to seek forgiveness now? Brother Webster's closing words, is there someone you need to offer forgiveness? Being able to forgive as God has forgiven us all begins when we first experience God's total forgiveness of our sins. When through our own personal faith and obedience we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins because that's what he commanded as we know, Acts 2, 38, 22, 16 and others. We can't forgive others as God in Christ forgave us until we allow God to forgive us and put us in Christ. But, but once he has, once we've tasted that sweet, that beautiful, that, that life-giving, grace-laden, soul-saving forgiveness of God, once we have experienced what it means to, to have God take all the, the rotten stuff in our lives and all the sins we've ever committed in our entire lives and, and throw them behind his back and put them beneath the blood and forget them forever, isn't that awesome? Ah, God is, I love God. But once we've experienced that and, and that sweet renewal of forgiveness and that knowing that our, our slates are as clean as, as, as the day we were born and there's no sin on our record because God's washed it away and forgotten it. That's what happens in baptism. Then 
As we continue to see that and, and we begin to grow and learn how we are to forgive others as we have been forgiven, that's how we preserve our forgiven status that we got at baptism because we need to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. If anybody needs any help with either of those tonight, either to be baptized for the forgiveness of your own sins or in strength to forgive somebody else's sins that your forgiveness might continue, we would love to help right now. Make your way to the front, please, as we stand and sing.